Forbes magazine calls him one of the most listened to recording artists of our time, with more than 3 billion streams and 11 number one albums on top Billboard charts. This is All Heart with Paul Cardall. Welcome to season five of All Heart. I'm your host, Paul Cardall. If you're tuning in for the first time, this podcast is an opportunity to hear from people I admire mainly because of the gifts God has blessed them with and how they're using these gifts to make the world a better place. We get to the heart of why they do what they do in hopes of inspiring and encouraging you to fine-tune the gifts God has also given you. Cause you took my scars, bruises and From 1986 to 1992, I was an avid Saturday Night Live viewer, huge fan. My friends and I used to gather every Saturday night to watch it, and one of our favorites was Victoria Jackson. We ran into her at Conduit Church in Franklin, Tennessee, and couldn't be more thrilled. She started out on The Tonight Show, which eventually led to Saturday Night Live, working with people like Dana Carvey, some of the very best, Mike Myers. She is an amazing woman, so talented, has accomplished incredible things in her life. God gave her the gift to make people laugh, to cheer people up, and she's used that gift, really, to uh, just be a blessing to everybody. So. You're going to love this interview with Victoria Jackson from Saturday Night Live. Welcome to All Heart with Paul Cardall. Hi. Hey, Victoria. How are you? I'm good. I'm really honored that you'd be on All Heart. I know my fans love you. They are aware of your career, and um, I'm just thrilled, so thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, Anything for my Christian brothers and sisters? Okay, so my husband's going to come down and start rattling in the kitchen, but hopefully he'll be quiet. You know he's he has a scary presence. <laughs> I'll introduce you. That's great. Makeup, hair, beautiful. Jesus. Yeah, I love that you're wearing that oh. shirt because we've had a lot of guests from The Chosen on <gasps> All Heart. We had Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, Noah James, who plays Andrew, and Dallas Jenkins. So you're a fan. I'm a big fan. Because most people don't know that you you were you grew up in a Christian family. Yes, I did. Southern Baptist. I was at church Sunday morning, night, and Wednesday. And then I went to a Christian high school and then I went to Florida Bible College for one year. But I wanted to be an English major and be a writer, and they didn't have that. Only they only had you could marry a preacher or you could be a, a Christian school teacher, <laughs> I, and um, and so I went to Furman uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. But um, I think your story is way more interesting than my story. Well, my, well I appreciate but your that. your viewers have already heard your story. They've heard it way too many, too much. They've and they've read the book, The Broken Miracle. So, yeah, it's a wild story. I think all of us have these unique journeys, and God seems to customize the curriculum for each of us. Yeah, he does. When I was uh, a teenager, 
my dad said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, the sooner you decide, the better you'll be at it. And he goes, if you could be anything, what would you be? And I said, Maria and the sound of music and be married to the captain and have seven children in matching outfits and sing on the mountain with my ukulele harmonizing with them. And he's like, hmm, that that sounds like uh, an actress. And I never, ever thought that you could actually magically be, you know, I just wanted to be Maria. He goes, that sounds like an actress. I don't recommend it because acting and show business and Christianity do not mix very well. But if that's what you want to be, give it a hundred percent. So then my, I kind of looked for open doors. Uh, I didn't know how to do it, but I didn't even, I helped my, yeah, my dad was in vaudeville and he was a gymnastics coach. So I was in a leotard on a four inch beam doing backflips my whole childhood, which is scary adrenaline and performance. So it kind of makes sense that I would end. And my dad was a Baptist deacon slash female gymnastics coach, which is a very weird combination. And as I often say, you know, the church was teaching me to be modest. And in the gym, we were in leotards, which is naked. The word gymnasium actually means naked. And, um, in Greek or something. And I thought, well, this is odd. I go, there must be a, a loophole for athletes, hmm. you know? So did you start out in doing local community stuff? Were you trying to entertain the church? Was that allowed? No, we didn't do that. I was getting all these mixed messages, but anyway, um, how, so my first play, I was accompanying my friend to her audition and Rhett Bryson, who's still teaching there at Furman University, he said, why don't you audition? And I said, I don't know anything about acting. And he goes, well, just read these lines. And so I read them and they were the part of a ditz, wow. which is my specialty. And he yes. could see that in me and <laughs> he typecasting. So he uh, gave me the part and that was my first experience. And I was instantly addicted I made the audience laugh and it was a drug. And I had, I was like, how can I get this again? Must have that feeling again, making people laugh. And, and also my drama teacher, then I changed from English to drama. She told me when I was doing the queen washing the blood off her hands in Hamlet or something, she told me that she did not believe I just murdered someone. And I said, but I felt it. I felt it. Like, no. So the doors kind of closed on serious drama and kind of opened in the ditzy characters. It's interesting the direction our path goes, because sometimes we have no control over our destiny, but we it kind of finds us. Don't you don't you agree with that? It kind of just finds you. It does. And then when you put God in the mix, you know, I love the way Jonathan Rumi, isn't that how you say his name? Jonathan. I love the way he he plays Jesus because he has a sense of humor and he's very peaceful. And I don't know, he's my favorite Jesus I've ever seen portrayed. On Saturday Night Live, usually it was uh, making fun or there was some type of, I mean, was there, yeah, any, was there any of that when you were on the show? Well... There was a f few times when I told uh, Lauren, like, well, there's a few times when I was like, Lord, should I do this? 
Um, one of the times was this sketch I just stumbled on the other day where Phil Hartman played Jesus and Jan Hook says to me, oh, look who's over there. Oh, I go, who is it? She goes, it's Jesus Christ. And I go, ah. and then we go get an autograph. And I was thinking, I was thinking, Lord, is that blasphemous? And I thought, if if that really happened, because I do believe in him, I would go oh, exactly like that. And then I would go over there and I might ask for an autograph. Yeah. So I thought, I don't think that's blasphemous. I would also probably say, you know, Lord, my friend doesn't believe in you yet. Could could you give her the gift of faith? Jan Hooks, she just recently died. Uh, we both had cancer about the same time, uh, about seven years ago. There was this also sketch where they wanted me to, uh, somebody wrote, because uh, I think I was the only Christian at Saturday Night Live, but it wasn't a problem because Lauren hired me because he thought I was funny. And I didn't proselytize. I wouldn't say bad words. If they were in the script, I would, you know, change it to, oh, man, or something like that. Sometimes I would say, gee, instead of Jesus. But my dad taught me that gee is a sin because it's a euphemism for Jesus. And um, so I even felt felt kind of guilty saying gee. Um but uh, there, it was hard to navigate. But like this, we wrote our own stuff so we could decide whether to do it or not. And so one time they wrote this sketch where it was just me. We were always dying to get more airtime or more lines. Some shows I only had zero lines. Some shows I had five and I was happy. But uh, this one time they wrote a sketch for me that was kind of making fun of extreme Christians. Like uh, my character had Jesus salt and pepper shakers and Jesus napkins and Jesus chandelier. And, you know, and, and I thought, well, we should make fun of people like that. Like we made fun of Tammy Faye Baker with the tears coming down. And I thought that was okay because she was kind of a cartoon. I think her heart was sincere, but you know, she wasn't making Christians look very sane at the time, but, but long story short, I waited outside Lauren's office for an hour. Cause you always have to do that. Cause he's important. And then I went in and I, I said, Lauren, I don't think I can do this sketch because in the middle of it, they wanted me to get on my knees and pray. And I said, I will either start crying or lightning will come down and strike me because I think praying really is talking to God and I, I'm afraid to make fun of it. And he said, Victoria, I understand. See, I'm doing an impression of Dana Carvey doing an impression of Lauren. Oh, Victoria, I understand. No problem. And so then he gave the sketch to Julia Sweeney. And so so they gave it to her. And at the dress rehearsal, nobody laughed. So it didn't get in the show. So there was times we could say yes and no. There's a couple... There's one sketch I probably shouldn't have been in, but it kind of was a real fast thing. Like, here, get it. She wouldn't do it. Get up there, do it. And show business is hard to mix with Christianity. Totally. Sure. How many Tootsie Rolls did you steal out of Lauren's office? When I was there, it was unsalted popcorn. There's a big bowl of unsalted popcorn and we weren't allowed to touch it. And like when you're around it, like your first instinct is to grab. But now, you know, 
I think he was smart because of all those germs, of all the hands that would have been going in his popcorn, he's probably smart to have it guarded. He had these beautiful secretaries. They were all like 20 and somebody called them the Lornettes and they kind of guarded his popcorn. That's that's hilarious. You started doing that in 1986, which is about the time my high school friends and I started watching. You were there for six years. That's like, that's commitment. You were actually on The Tonight Show before Saturday Night Live. Yes. I was in Birmingham in Summerstock, and Johnny Crawford was flown in to be the lead in Meet Me in St. Louis. And I was in the chorus line, and he said I would be good in his nightclub act because of my funny voice as the comic relief because he sang 30 songs and he gave me one-way ticket to LA and I said you gotta ask my parents permission because I'm only 19 and he was 33 and he called my parents and they were like oh okay as long as she starts college again in the fall but they didn't have any money and I had been kicked out of Auburn for not paying the bills and I'm like isn't my aren't my parents supposed to pay the bill so I'm like, what are they talking about? I either have to be a secretary in Miami, my hometown, or I could be a secretary in L.A. and chase this whim of acting. So I took the ticket and I lived in these dives. I worked in a retirement hotel for room and board. It was like a very, it should be a movie someday. It was very exciting. And God protected me because I was in dangerous situations. I got held up with a gun one time. No kidding. No kidding. And you didn't even do a sing and dance for him. You just, that must have been scary to come right out of the kind of a Southern Baptist world into LA and get mugged. My husband's like, I would never let our daughter go to LA alone at 19. What was your dad thinking? And I'm like, yeah, what was he thinking? And my dad, I remember my dad saying, if you get in a situation like that, scream and fight and run. So I screamed so loud and I opened the door and I ran and the elevator operator said he thought it was an ambulance with such a loud scream. Guy ran away. So so how I got on The Tonight Show was um, stand-up comedy was a new thing in 1980 and there's very few females doing it. And most of them, they were angry and stuff. And I thought... Well, if I could do a stand-up routine, maybe someone would see me in the audience and I could get an agent and then I could audition for Happy Days or something like that. And so I I went to the comedy store and I got an assign, uh, open mic night and they signed me one in the morning mm. and I got to do three minutes and there was uh, only uh, like three drunk Japanese businessmen and no one else there. And I I didn't know how to write an act, so I did my Lily Tomlin impression of Edith Ann. My baby's eating that I'm five and a half years old. I'd never ask to be bored. If I did, Baba would have said no. Anyway, I did it. And then Mitzi, who was sitting in the back, the owner, the famous owner, she started screaming at me. She said, you never do someone else's material, especially if they're alive. I was like, oh, I didn't know. So then I was like, oh, I got to make up my own thing. So I thought, well, I can, I have some poems. I can hold a handstand longer than anybody in Hollywood and in the world almost uh, from my childhood. So I, 
I did a poem upside down the next time and it was original. It wasn't funny, but it did keep their attention. And then at my cigarette girl job, I started, I asked the boss if I could do an act and he goes, well, what do you do? And he, he goes, I go, well, I say poetry upside down. And he goes, this I've got to see. So uh, he let me do uh, like three to five minutes for a year and a half every night. And I honed my uh, Johnny Carson gives you six minutes. So I honed my six minutes. And then the Tonight Show talent scout came and saw it and put me on the Tonight Show. And you did it in reverse because most people go on Saturday Night Live and hope to get on the Tonight Show. Some some uh, celebrities are able to pull it off before. And you obviously were one of those. That's a huge accomplishment. Well, thank you. And then um, I was on like three times a year. And then I think Lauren Michaels must have seen me on there and gave me an audition. He gave me a ticket to New York and I auditioned for him. And it was very stressful six years and very competitive, very exciting, changed my life. And I brought other opportunities after, you know. You were able to do a lot of your act during um, when Dennis Miller was doing the news. You'd always be doing some type of tap dance, uh, bending backwards, um, just making all of us laugh. I didn't really think it was funny, but I didn't know how else to write. I'd never taken improv classes. I only was in the groundlings during the writer's strike. And I took the beginner class while I was already on SNL, which was weird. And then I got the Weird Al Yankovic movie, so I quit the Groundlings. But yeah, I didn't know how to write a sketch. So I just kept submitting ideas for the update desk. And that's all I could think of. <laughs> in, between, yeah. in between 1986 and 92, there was a lot less cast members than there is today. Like today, there's it's insane how many people are on the show today. And I think they should have a smaller cast. And so America can get to know them. We were only about six people in 86. And, um, you know, Lauren, he stays there. And then he just, when he burns us out, he gets a whole new group. But now there's too many people. And now it's too politically uh, liberal propaganda, uh, I think so. But when we were there, it was liberal, but it wasn't as much, you know, hateful left prop extreme left propaganda as much then and you it were was just a normal anti-christian idea just enough to try to uh, re-educate those of us in high school and college that were curious about the yeah. world we looked at saturday night live yeah. to fill us with our information kind of the pre-tiktok pre-Instagram world of being entertained. You should only watch SNL if you have a very solid biblical training. Otherwise, you could get swayed into the wrong worldview. And you worked with Dennis Miller, Dana Carvey, Jan Hooks was fantastic, Phil Hartman. John Lovitz, Kevin Nealon, Dana Carvey, Dennis Miller, Nora Dunn, and... Uh... I must be leaving someone out. And then in our last few years, Mike Myers, Adam Sandler, and Chris Farley joined, and David Spade. So uh, they were they were the newcomers when I was the old timer there. John Lovitz, I just saw him at Zany's here in Nashville, where you're now living. I just saw him a little bit 
a while ago and i remember he did the uh you know we talked about some of the christian type sketches on saturday night live back then do you remember his skit where he was the devil and he they did the people's court and then um what do you think of church lady i thought it was kind of brilliant because i know people like that i've been to church with them and i i was on the first church chat and i played jenny the church girl and so I was like playing the opposite of the hypocritical, judgmental Christian. And I was the sincere, innocent, pure-hearted Christian, which I thought was interesting casting. And um, yeah, it was kind of brilliant, actually. Except sometimes it went, you know, it crossed the line maybe sometimes. But, you know. In 1992, when... You left um, for me. Ever since then, I mean, that was the best cast, and everybody has their favorite cast. But you were part of my favorite cast, so thank you for uh, being there in the mix of all the chaos to to bring humor to us. The funny part: a lot of people think that their cast when they were a teenager was the best one, but. Trying to be objective, I think my cast was the best one. Oh, there's no question. I think the best sketches, most well thought out. It was it was a good time, you know, the uh, the late eighties. We and had great writers. Yeah, Conan was a writer, and, and Al Franken and uh, Jim Downey was a genius writer. Uh, I think he's secretly a conservative in his heart. Um, yeah, Al Franken, all those guys, very brilliant. And and David Spade talks about coming in as a writer and feeling completely out of place and uneducated. But I, you I, listen to their you listen to their podcast called Fly on the Wall. I, I love Fly on the Wall, and um, we're hoping to to hear you on the show because Dana talks about you a lot on the show. He, he actually, I noticed that. yeah, he dropped your name um on the on the previous one talking about things you guys would do together and how much fun he had with you so and you know dana's had heart surgery so we both right. share a scar and pain do you have any pain or anything from or you're just normal now isn't that weird that i i have like the heart of another person yes um, wow is that when you found jesus you know, when I was 14 years old and undergoing my third heart surgery was when I felt such a closeness to dying, to what is what is next. And I'd been raised in a home to have faith and to believe that there's purpose and something greater than all of this. But when you're actually in the moment of being near death, um, you really start to process what you believe and it was at that time where they were i mean it's kind of like you go to the hospital for surgery it's like you're going to pay for torture i had so many needles and testing and i was miserably sick dying of endocarditis and yet as i would pray and his family would gather i felt such strength from the lord that jesus really sustained me through it and it became one of the most spiritual transforming 
periods in my life. So I encountered Jesus as a 14-year-old and um, in a strange way when you have faith in Jesus and a hope in everything that is promised, it's worth going through the suffering because it gives life more meaning. And I don't think life's really about to be happy. I think it's about having purpose and meaning. And in suffering, we recognize how much we're loved and how much we love others. And it's a strange thing to process. But, you know, you mentioned Jan Hooks having cancer, and I didn't know that you had also experienced cancer. Uh, seven years ago, I had a double mastectomy, chemo, radiation, and um, I, I told Jesus, uh, I know all the Bible verses that would comfort me. I know them too well. Please show me, you know, like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For with God, nothing is impossible. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. You know, I know, I knew them all. And uh, I said, can you show me a new one? And I was sitting in the lobby waiting for my, you know, terrible news. And he showed me Psalm 43, 5. And it said, why art thou downcast? Why art thou my soul troubled within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. My something about countenance and my God. And so anyway, Psalm 43, 5. And I was like, oh, thank you. I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him. And that was like, got me through the whole year of treatment because it was like, oh, I will be happy again. I will be praising him again, saying, yay, thank you, Jesus. Uh, it might be in heaven and might not be on earth, but there will be a time I'll be happy again and praising him. So that verse carried me through the year. And also, I realized that my faith was real because I remember when I was laying in bed and I was too weak to pick up the remote to watch TV, uh, I was saying Psalm 23 a lot over and over, singing it out loud. But I remember thinking, huh, all I need is Jesus. I'm good. I'm fine. And I felt like he was standing next to my bed holding my hand. And uh, Isaiah 40.10, I drew a picture of that. And I just thought, wow, I really do believe in him. And he's really real because I'm not really that afraid. I'm, it's kind of an adventure. The, it's a win-win for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's a win-win. So I understand what you mean about suffering and, you know, being near death because it it kind of makes your faith, I guess it's a test your faith and it shows you if you have any or not. I'm like, oh, I, I've always said the verses and read the verses and memorized them, but now it's putting them into action and it was working. What I love, what I love about you and I think what we all love about you is that, you know, most people who do not have faith, uh, I mean, the whole pursuit of life is um money power uh to be known but not okay. to be known in a to, in its way to be known is a superficial 
um, way that is not really as, um, not as, as nurturing as the love of God is because he knows your heart. And when you know that he knows you, there's nothing more fulfilling. I mean, you've done, you've been on the tonight show, you've done Saturday night live. You actually were, um, in a sitcom or a pilot or something with George Clooney of all people, you've had all these amazing interactions with people and yet it's your interaction with God. Whatever happened, whatever happened to George Clooney? Didn't he get married and sail away to Italy? I'm kidding. <laughs> He's still one of the best looking men in Hollywood. We went to his movie with, uh, Julia Roberts and it was cute about, uh, a divorced couple that ends up getting back together. But uh, yeah, yeah. No, those um, are amazing accomplishments. Yeah. Um, yet it's the love of God that has sustained you and given you the most pleasure. If God really has a purpose for, for all of us, you know, there's that. Yeah. It's not just luck, maybe. Yeah. And my favorite miracle is my children. Mm. Having two children. Children are the greatest blessing. What are their names? How old are they? Scarlett is 36, and she's a Christian writer, speaker for Lifeway. Her latest book was called, um, oh, what's her latest? Oh, uh, You're the Worst Person in the World. That was her, her latest book, and it's about Romans 3.23. Um, and... My other daughter is 28, and oh, they're both happily married. I have three grandkids, and the other daughter works from home for this health doctor thing, and um, they're building their dream house. So I'm very blessed with that. I'm honored uh, that you would be on All Heart. What would you like any of us to know? Wow. Um, well, I've just been following uh china phillips on her youtube channel and i'm a big fan of her she's on fire for jesus and her mom and dad are the mamas and the papas you know john and michelle phillips and their album is so good of course i taught my daughters when they say go where you want to go and do what you what you want to do i taught my daughters that's not scriptural that's against the bible but it's a great song and uh and then when they go uh got down on my knees got down on my knees and i began to pray i began i asked china was it began to pray or pretend to pray because when i listened to it over and over i thought i heard both she said the funny story is mama cass was singing began to pray michelle phillips was singing pretend to pray at the same time so that's why I couldn't figure out. But I told my daughters, when we sing it and harmonize it, we sing Began to Pray. Mm. And uh, anyway, love the album. So China, you know, in her raised in a Hollywood world, and she had her hit song, you know, uh, Hold On with Wilson Phillips. Mm. She is a very strong Christian. And she's has a Zoom. She has a YouTube channel called California Preaching. And I, I, I became a fan. And now on Sunday, we have a Zoom call where there's about 20 of us women from all over we've never met. And we pray together and have a Bible lesson every Sunday for two hours. And it blesses me. And what I've learned through that is that 
I like to, um, I think a lot of us now like to, what's the word when you uh, stay isolate? Isolate. Yes, I like to isolate because it's stressful to be with people. And now that we have computers that can entertain us or or we can, oh, I'm just addicted to YouTube and, you know, Google, any question I have, I'm like, it's like the Britannica Encyclopedia. And um, so I uh, am learning that we need our fellow Christian brothers and sisters for encouragement, to pray with us. And it's out of my comfort zone, but I share with them my my deep uh, pains and they share theirs. And it makes me not so selfish when I hear what they're struggling with, then I I pray for them. That's one thing I'm learning is to, to have a community of believers, you know, church also, church and, and in church, there's small groups and all that. So um, I think we we don't realize how important it is to have. That's why I met you that day at um, uh, Conduit Church, because I'm trying to go out of my comfort zone and and be with other Christians. And and um, that's what I'm learning lately. And I pray for China Phillips and her ministry. um, And I pray for Eric Metaxas ministry. He has a great talk show. He's trying to get on a, a network. And so um, I pray for Eric Metaxas. And uh, you should go to his website. And I pray for Beckett Cook. He has a great YouTube channel, B-E-C-K-E-T-C-O-O-K. Beckett Cook lived a gay lifestyle his whole life. He got born again 12 years ago. And he is on fire for Jesus he has uh he wrote a book called a change of affection and he uh has this youtube channel and talks about how jesus is more important than anything the world can offer and he lost his career because of following jesus he was a very um successful um designer uh show business writer like he's the guy they hired to make commercials look beautiful and stuff that that thing Anyway, these people, I'm so proud of them, and I'm kind of, uh, I fill my time with that. I still do stand-up comedy. Uh, I have a gig in Ohio, December 10th, so that kind of keeps my brain working a little. I love that. I love that. Now, do you have a website that people can go to to see where you're at and what you're doing? Yes, victoriajackson.com. Okay, I'm going to put that in the show notes. Everybody go check that out. And obviously you can Google Victoria and you can watch some of those old sketches, but then also uh, catch up with what she's doing now. So you're, you're amazing with your little Latino corazon. Well, I appreciate you. You're amazing. All right. God bless you. You too. Okay, bye. Because you took my scar.
Number one, Billboard pianist Paul Cardall. Do you believe in miracles and second chances? Over a decade ago, I was raised from the dead. Read Paul's story, The Broken Miracle, by J.D. Netto. Visit thebrokenmiracle.com.